Hello, everybody. This is Sequence Break, episode 19, Skybills. And here she is, Skybills. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining. I appreciate it. Absolutely. How are you doing today, Lat? I am doing great. Um, for somebody who may not be familiar with your stream and you're a, you, you, you touch a lot of different communities. So would you mind just maybe giving a brief like bio or how you participate in, in gaming and all those kind of things? That is such a broad question. I'm going to do my best here. I, I can't do it all in one breath. All right. So here we go. So I started in the speedrunning community and I started on, you know, on my current channel, twitch.tv slash skybills. And I did a lot of hosting for Games Done Quick. I've done one run for GDQ. And then I got into the Magic community about a year and a half ago now, it feels like, when MTG Arena launched into the beta stage. So pretty excited to do that as well. Always had a passion for cards even before video games. And I do have to, uh, just so everyone, I, I, Sky Bills might be one of my favorite hosts I've heard at Games Done Quick. If you've watched any of the most popular runs on Games Quick, I'm sure you've heard her voice before because she does a great job of just like hyping up the crowd and making it as exciting as it really is to be there. So I just love the, that you do that and the approach you bring to it. So uh, Thank you. So first things first, when did you start gaming? Like what was your kind of your early memories of gaming? Uh, I started gaming about... Uh, about four years old, maybe a little bit before okay. then. And I played a lot of Super Mario Brothers 3, Castlevania and Castlevania 3, and then Star Fox for the Super Nintendo were kind of like my main games when I started as a kid. Nice. Were you the type? I mean, did you had did you have the speed running bug at that point? Or are you just like a normal kid and just playing through games and stuff like that? Well, I kind of I kind of had the speedrunning bug. I like to play things really fast, but I like to play in front of people. So whenever we'd be at like a family gathering, if there was a video game system there, I would just start playing for people to watch. And I really enjoyed it when people watched me play. So love doing that at an early age. And it was just something to kind of kind of break up the monotony of schoolwork and whatnot. And just never gave up gaming. No, absolutely. It's uh, it, it doesn't surprise me to hear that that gaming was a performance already for you back then, especially cons <laughs> considering your stream and being on the world's biggest stage on Games Dead Quick and all those kind of things and, and doing those type of things. Um, what, what do you remember? Uh, did you have like a, uh, you mentioned? So were Star Fox and some of those other games were those kind of like your favorite games as a kid? Yeah, Castlevania three was probably my favorite, but SMB three was like right next to it, if not on par with it. Uh, my parents had both taught me how to play. So my mom and my grandmother had taught me how to play the Mario series. And my dad taught me how to play the Castlevania and the Zelda series. So I had a lot of exposure to that. And then I also played some Kirby early on. My mom had bought me Kirby's Adventure, Kirby Superstar. So I'd started getting into that as well. So, you know, the, the big question, did you discover um, speedrunning first or was it Magic the Gathering? Kind of like, how does that work in, in your, you know, in your kind of life of gaming? It depends on what you mean by speedrunning. I liked playing games fast as a kid, but about, I want to say eight, nine years old, I started playing competitive Pokemon in the Pokemon trading card game. Oh, yeah. I'd go, you know, be a gym leader at Toys R Us and kind of help out with things there. And then I started playing competitive Yu-Gi-Oh! a few years after that, right when the show had come out, I'd picked up the game and I did that for quite some time. And then suddenly Yu-Gi-Oh! after I was at uh, Nats in 2011, I was like, uh, this is kind of too dependent on who goes first. So I started picking up Magic the Gathering while I was in grad school. And from there on in, I was very passionate about it. Tried to go to Friday Night Magics whenever I could, just be involved with the community in general. Nothing competitive, though. That all kind of happened over the course of last year, which we can get into later. So I would say 
um, speed running and cards kind of both happened at the same time in terms of what I'm more passionate about, probably about uh, cards, just by a little bit, just because <laughs> I'd always been pretty good at them and I had excelled in them. Uh, you, when you picked up Magic the Gathering, what series was the current you know series uh, uh, at that point? Innistrad. So it was the very first Innistrad. It was 2011. Just needed a break again, much like what I did with um, gaming when I was a kid. I needed a break from grad school stuff. So I'm like, well, Yu-Gi-Oh is not for me anymore. Let me give this a try. And Innistrad was like the perfect set to start on. It was very deep. It was very difficult. But that was something I had wanted. I didn't want anything too easy to start out. So... Yeah, it's a very beloved set in Magic. So let's explore that a little bit. How um, how did you learn Magic the Gathering? Is it something you taught yourself? Did you have friends? Well, how, how did that start? There was a little bit of it in undergrad. I had played it, but I'm like, I kind of like Yu-Gi-Oh! better, more comfortable. In grad school, when I really dove in, a friend of mine, he still streams to this day, Tokyo Scarab. We had both gone together uh, and we had known each other from a mutual friend from grad school. And we had kind of learned the ropes together you know he knew it a little bit better than i did at the time but we both decided to kind of learn and give it a shot and just every week we'd keep going and we'd keep getting better every time so i'm trying to think back to that time period i believe there was was chandelier out by then as a video game magic the gathering i, I don't know my were there any video games around <laughs> magic at that point because i don't i'm trying to think if probably it was out not. yet probably not okay i think it was all paper it was yeah. all you went to friday night magic you used that as an opportunity to socialize which was great because the only socialization i had at the time is when i was teaching people and you know that's aren't the kind of people you want to talk cards with, so <laughs> you know it was that and it was my work at the time so it was good for me to get out and do that what is it about uh mtg that appeals to you I like the gathering part. So we always talk about magic. It's magic. But, you know, it's the full name of the game is called Magic the Gathering. And the gathering is what makes magic so great. Just uniting as a community, learning different strategies together. And the best part, Lat, you never master the game. There are pros out there, people who have won pro tours, world championships. They will tell you they don't have the game figured out. Nobody does because mechanics are constantly changing. And then there's so many different formats on top of that. No one's going to be perfect at, at even a single format if that's all they did because the game is always changing. The rules are always changing. And now we even have ban lists that happen every now and then. So if anybody says they're you know absolutely a perfect Magic player, they're full of you-know-what because... <laughs> <laughs> no, I... Because I, I no, good. no, I was going to say there's just it's so deep and I just find myself always coming back for the challenge. It, it doesn't surprise me that you mentioned the gathering part about it. I, I can truthfully say that I haven't attended any sort of speedrunning event where there isn't a magic game constantly going, by the way, almost at any hour of the day. And so that's actually one of the reasons why I, I thought it'd be interesting to, to talk about this, because as much as they are two very distinct different things i feel like there's this really strong uh there's there's something that that is is appeals to both the speedrunner but also people who play the game and i wonder if you've thought about that and maybe you could touch upon that a little bit or i could we could you know any, ever th put any thought into that well whenever i talk to people at wizards so i played in the mythic invitational and mythic championship 7 and i've gotten this question twice from people working or from wizard staff they're like has speedrunning ever influenced your game we're always seeing you playing red and green which are very fast very heavy hitting decks and i'm like yeah you don't see me playing chess master you see me racing mario of course i want to get things done and get them done efficiently so, um, yeah, for, for better or for worse, speedrunning influences my strategies that I use in Magic the Gathering. So 
it's just, it's going to be there. I'm trying to learn how to play, you know, kind of control as well, because you need to learn all of the play styles. But I think there's always going to be that component where I have that speed running habit that compels me to play faster decks in Magic the Gathering. It's interesting to hear you say that, because there's one constant thing I have uh, learned from the best speedrunners in the world uh, is that they're, they're competitive, whether they're competitive with themselves or whether they're competitive with people, you know, whether they're playing competitive esports or anything like that. And, and I really feel like there's that great element in Magic the Gathering is that it it, it, it is competitive and it, it forces you to, you know, to better yourself so you, that you could learn how to play against all these different styles and all these different people. Do you, do you ever do you ever feel like that? That's like the more that you learn, the better you become those kind of things. Yeah, and I like how you said it very much begins with you. You get better at magic by acknowledging where your flaws are and trying your best to fix that, trying your best to break some good or bad habits associated with that. Sometimes good because going fast is good in that case. But uh, I, the lessons that can be learned in speedrunning can be translated to magic and vice versa. There are attributes I've learned through both that help me out with the other components. So I feel like I have a little bit of that advantage. And then there's also that streaming component as well. Me hosting, me used to being in front of large crowds. You know, there are always people like, aren't you nervous before you play in front of a huge audience? And I'm like, nah, that's, <laughs> that's nothing compared to hosting at GDQ. Yeah, you know, a couple hundred thousand people, no big deal. <laughs> nah, no, nah, we're, we're good to go. Um, you mentioned this earlier, and it's one thing that I, so to, 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 to let everyone know about me, I, I played um, Magic the Gathering, I guess, probably, I'm going to date myself here, it's probably 15 or 20 years ago when I was in school, and I, I, let, I let go of the game, and it's the only reason I let go of the game is because my friends moved, you know, I didn't have people to play with, but one of the things that struck me right away was how deep the game is and how deep it runs, and you mentioned that even some of the best in the world still say that they're learning and they haven't discovered every, everything. Uh, uh, how do you deal or, or how do you learn? How do, how do you get to get to some of those depths of this game? So that's a very interesting <laughs> question because I was thrown from the kiddie pool. I'm not even going to say the shallow end from the kiddie pool, the inflated pool to the ocean. Okay. So what had happened was wizards had called me up. Um, it was at the beginning of 2019. And they said, we want to invite you to this Mythic Invitational. And at the moment, I'm like, well, I've played Friday Night Magics. So I've played Commander, also known as like kind of kitchen table magic. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready to tangle with the pros yet. And Auth had told me, he's like, if you don't get on that plane, I'm going to make you get on that plane and go. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to give this a try. And then suddenly, you know, I played my first few matches. I think I'm two and one at the time. Um and it was only double elimination. So several people have been eliminated at that point. I'm like, all right, I'm two and one. You know, if I lose one more, I'm out. Cool. All of a sudden, I have this production manager come up to me and they're like, you're going to sit up there for the next round. And they point up to the stage where all these cameras are. And I'm like, um, excuse me. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So I sit down and they're like, you're going to play against two time world champion here, Shahar Shanhar. And I'm like, okay, sure. And at the time, like, I, I couldn't quite process that because it was so new to the pro scene. And I don't even know, I think they told me after I had beaten a two-time world champion, because I sit down and I'm like, I assume everybody here is really good. Everyone here has one big thing, it's cool. And then when I when I had actually beaten him, and that's on YouTube if you want to see that match, they're like, do you know who you just beat? And I'm like, I probably didn't want to know entirely before I started, but sure. <laughs> it was just 
I I was literally thrown into the deepest water from the the little inflata pool, and I I have no regrets over that shit. Everybody do that? Absolutely not. That was that was an insane. experience. Yeah. No kidding. But if you wanna if you wanna get into more competitive stuff, uh, there is Magic Fest. So once those kind of start back up. You can go and play with people of all different kinds of skill levels. It doesn't have to be all Magic Pro League or all Magic Rivals. So I would highly recommend kind of going to a Magic Fest and playing in paper and seeing if you like that first. Uh, trying to go for Mythic every month. These are limited. You're constructed in Arena is a good way to do that. Arena is a great teacher. I highly recommend it. But like I said, the gathering is what makes Magic great. So last year, I had the fortune of being involved in a uh, tournament circuit called Fandom Legends, where I did play against Magic. Um, Magic Pro League every single, you know, probably every other week, at least once a month. And I became a better player by playing the Magic Pro League. But again, that approach might not be for everyone. So Magic Fest, playing with friends, kind of reading articles online, that would be the more the more sensible answer. But if you're like me and you happen to be at the right place at the right time, playing against the pros does help make you better. But it's it's very tough. It's something you have to accept. You're going to lose a little bit more than usual, but I've been a better player as a result of all that. I got to tell you, as a uh, uh, viewer, I, I, that's one of the things I love about Magic the Gathering tournaments, especially on Twitch, is that you can see the best of the world go against somebody who maybe just picked up the game, like like you said, just a couple months ago. And, and because there is, I, there's obviously, uh, uh, there is... RNG, for lack of a better word, exists in the game because you, it's, a, it's, a, it's a random draw. It's a shuffling game. You know, you you can't predict the cards that you're going to get. But over the long term, typically, I mean, that's the one thing I, I also love. I, I'm a stats guy, so I, I love that in in you know in the long term you can predict with, with, with you know what kind of success you may have with a given deck based on your skill set and things like that, which I think is really interesting and fascinating about the game. If you're a stats guy, you don't know what you don't want to know what my Vegas odds were for that invitational <laughs> because no one knew who I was. All right. But got a decent way in there and almost top 16. I'm sure I messed up a lot of people's Vegas odds. <laughs> you broke brackets. brackets yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, People did like fun brackets too. Yeah, it was funny. No, I mean, that's so cool. So, I mean, obviously, so that sets you off on this path. Um, how have you been improving your game? What have you been doing? And we'll get to Arena in just a second, but how? what have you been doing for your own game to continue getting better? Every single day I must play for about four or five hours. Um, it's grind. No exaggeration, even when I'm out on break or I'm out of vacation, four to five hours just every day, just drilling myself. And if I'm not doing that, I'm reading articles. I'm asking people about things on Twitter. It's about just that necessary component to keep growing as a player. The minute you think you have it all figured out is when things crash and you stop growing. So it's just a matter of continuing education and just practicing every day and then learning how to play all the play styles. So control mid-range and aggro. I feel like speedrunners can definitely uh, they can they can get they can understand that correlation because when you're when you want to do the best of your speedrun, you're practicing specific segments, your save states, you're doing all that kind of stuff. You're looking at the task to see if there's a strat you haven't tried yet. You know those kind of things. Yeah, watching other mat. That's another similarity between the two. So like people will go on to speedrun.com and look up a run. Some people will look up, you know, what did the top eight? What happened last week? Or if there was an online tournament who accelerated and they'll look up all kinds of stats and that stuff's available online. That's the great thing. Esports teams have uh, come together to either create applications for arena to help you look up statistics or they'll provide a place where these are the top rated decks and they'll give like grades to each single one. And 
again, it's all available if you know where to go. It's all there. Um, I, uh, so me personally, I've been, I don't know why. Actually, I kind of know why. Um, I've been intimidated to give MTG Arena a try. And the reason I mentioned this, I think we, when I, before we recorded, I was like, you know, I, the last time I played Magic really was like revised. Like I'm a very old school player. So a lot of the new mechanics that I see in the game and all these different abilities and things like that intimidate me. What exactly is MTG Arena and how could somebody like me, where where would be a good jumping in point? Where could I get started with this? Well, I like how you asked that. So the minute you boot up Arena, you go into tutorial, a very involved tutorial oh, that cool. will show you about all the new ways to play, all the new keywords. They will not leave you to dry. If you play through those tutorials, it's a very good way where if you were an older player, that'll help you transition over into the new way. And it's really not that different. There's just a lot more keywords and a lot more mechanics to be thinking about. But the fundamentals are very much still the same as they were back then. That okay. That's that's that feels a little bit better. What, what do you um? What do you like about MGG Arena? It sounds like it's been. It seems like it's one of it's. It's really caught on, and I'm glad there's a popularity to it because it means people are getting into magic, which is awesome. Uh, what 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 appeals about it to you? Well, if you've watched old paper tournaments on Twitch. You notice when they show the field, there's like a little bit of that glare because of the sleeves and you can't see what's happening on Arena. You get to see everything. And if the streamer has something like Cardboard Live or even our own Team Genji extension available, it will show you different things. It'll show you different stats. Uh, it'll help out for practice. If you're if you're playing against something in a practice mode, it'll tell you like the odds of, you know, a card popping up, for instance. And... On Arena, cards like come to life. So some of the cards that are more used, you know, you'll see like a huge beast <laughs> pop out or something. And it's really cool to watch if you're someone who just likes to watch magic. So it's more appealing to the person who's watching it because you get to see these cards come to life. You get to read the rules if they have the proper extensions enabled. And it's just a more interactive experience in general. Uh, this is my dumb question, and uh, I'm you know, are, what is the the um, the crossover between paper and arena? Are we seeing the same cards? Is it different? What what exactly exists there? I think it's a lot of the same. I think um, sometimes paper is influenced by arena, and arena sometimes is influenced by paper. I don't think there's too too much of a difference there. Now, from what I do understand, there are ways if you go across the world. So if you go to Japan, sometimes the decks are very different there in terms of like what their choices are. So sometimes a different country or a different culture, they'll play a little bit differently. That's where the differences are. But if you're talking about like the U.S. in a bubble between arena and between paper it, it's very much the same it, there's not too much that's different about it other than the fact that arena is a little easier to watch some people will claim and sometimes <laughs> on a bad day i will too that the shuffler feels a little <laughs> bit different but i you know i trust wizards to take the wheel that the sure. shufflers are right it's just every now and then it likes to have an attitude is how i put it so i don't think it, there's that much of a difference between that and paper i would say arena is economically cheaper to get into and that was you, you. I think you might have read my mind. Um, even back in fourth edition revised, there were a black lotus was still a couple hundred bucks. And this is a long time ago. Uh, is there that kind of pay, uh, bar- is, does that barrier to entry still exist for paper? Or what? What is the 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 current state of that the affairs there? Well, for paper, so paper is like a stock market, okay? If a card does really well in a tournament, uh, the card value is going to go up. In Arena, you have these things called wild cards, and 
a 50 cent rare will cost as much as a $20 rare in the wild card. Oh, cool. Range. Okay. So you're not paying by how well the card is doing. You're just paying for the rarity in Arena. And that's one of the things that makes Arena so affordable. Around pre-release time, Arena always releases this deal where you can get 50 packs for $50. Hmm. That is a fantastic deal that I always tell people to take advantage of while it lasts. Because then you're kind of getting this nice head start on the new set. And you can earn in-game currency to get packs as well again i would say i spend sheesh maybe maybe a a sixth in arena of what i spend in paper with no exaggeration paper is just that much more expensive than arena is which is an unfortunate barrier to get into the game but uh, i understand the way that it works and everything in fact uh you mentioned the 50 bucks for a 50 that's i played hearthstone for a while and and for a couple of years and that was kind of the best way to get a bunch of cards as well for there and it can obviously add up if you if you keep playing it but the, the, i think one of the things i i think that's cool about mtg arena is that because the new sets are coming out it does feel like you get a new game when a new set comes out so it's not just like you're you're only dealing with one thing you get all these new uh, abilities and you're gonna have to learn a new meta and all those kind of things which i think is really cool yeah i mean when you think about it in speed running so the game becomes fresh when there's new strats but if it's something like mario won any percent you know there's not going to be much of a change there when you think about magic every single time a new set gets released not only are you receiving new cards sometimes sets will rotate out sometimes the new cards will influence what kind of older cards you're going to use so there's always that aspect as well is there a competitive ladder for mtg arena there's two of them there's <laughs> limited and there's constructed and what are kind of that what are the differences between the two so limited is you do nothing but draft to get there. And it does cost in-game currency or gems to do it. However, if you win at least five to six games every single time, you can do what's called going infinite and you can keep competing on there. In constructed, you have to have all the cards, but once you have all the cards, it really doesn't cost you anything to continue to play constructed competitively unless a new set comes out. Oh, it's really cool. I like that idea. So there is there is a free-to-play option if you're somebody who just wants to give test the water, see if this is something that'd be appealing to you. Well, free to play in air quotes, you still have to get the wild cards for the deck that you want. Got so it. you have okay. to do the research to make sure that when you invest wild cards in the deck, that you're going to be using that deck for a little while to acquire currency to get other decks. So that first deck that you choose to make is going to be pretty critical. You brought up a, a, an important term, and I think this is something that I didn't learn until uh, much later on in life. But uh, the importance of drafting and how it teaches you to learn the game. What is, first of all, what's fun about drafting? What do you enjoy about it? And then secondly, how does that help you learn the game? It's and, and again, these are great questions. So with <laughs> drafting, I just started going for double mythic. I always used to just go for construct. I'm like, I don't want to pay money to draft. I love <laughs> drafting, but I don't want to sink the money into it. And I found out that drafting overall, me starting to go for double mythic each month has made me a better player because it, the bots sometimes will dry you up on a color and it forces you to get good at other colors. It also forces you to read the bot a little bit better, which doesn't, I will I will make this disclaimer now for anyone playing Magic. It does not translate from playing or drafting with human players ever. The bot is very different from <laughs> that. So I don't want people coming away from that thinking it's the same experience. Interesting. But... Uh, once you do that, and once you figure out a format, when I, when Ravnica Allegiance flipped over from Theorist, so we had Theorist, and Wizards likes to flip limited formats, so we had Ravnica Allegiance as of last week. I was having a really, I could not win a game. I was just 
taken it and taken it and taken it from the AI and from my <laughs> other players who knew how to draft better. Suddenly, a couple nights ago, something clicked and I started figuring out how to read the bots better, started figuring out how to construct a deck better uh, from this limited set. And then that translated to better constructed play. And then I got mythic and constructed again from kind of thinking about the moves that I was making during draft. And I'm like, you know what? The extra money's worth it if you're trying to be really competitive at this game. Because even if you don't agree with the current limited set that's out, you're still lessons to be learned from that. And if you're if you're competing at a very high caliber level, those lessons are invaluable and worth any amount of money. Uh, no kidding. Um, you, you reminded me of something when I used to play uh, as a teenager. Uh, there were some, definitely some players that were just way better than me. I was playing a, basically a Friday night game like you were talking about. And I, mm-hmm. I felt like I had this this really great white deck because I had won, uh, I'd won a few weeks in a row. So you're feeling invincible. But I really didn't feel like I was learning the game until I started playing some of the other decks and understanding why people were making their moves and, and playing cards a certain way because I, I, didn't have a, I didn't have a grasp of all the other cards. and every. Uh, so I started learning how to counterbalance or counteract my own decks and my own choices and that really opens up the game for you when you start thinking that way yeah absolutely the more styles you know how to play the better you're going to be especially in limited because you may not have your comfort zone available to you but that's part of the game i tend to embrace now and you mentioned learning uh, control decks recently. Like that's for me, that's like a really intelligent. Like it, it feels like it takes a lot of brain power for some reason to play a control style deck. But it it brings this understanding that maybe you you know of your own styles and how you could com- combat your own styles and approaches. Absolutely. I mean, I still I'm not a fan of playing control, but learning how to play control teaches me how to defeat control. So there's that, too. <laughs> Have you set any uh, personal goals in uh, paper or an MTG in arena for yourself? I want to make a uh, the top 16 cut at one of the Mythic Championships. And I realize it may take me a couple more years to get back there, but I would love to make day two at an MC. I wouldn't mind going to compete in paper and maybe getting into like a top 16 or a top eight there as well. Yeah. I managed to do it in an online tournament. I did get top four in one of the Phantom Legends last year, which was cool. I want that feeling again of being close to the top. It is not, that's that's I think it's such a great goal, and it's it's nice to hear that you're realistic about it because. Uh, you know, it's it, it, these the, because of the randomness that's involved. You have to have a larger sample size, and the only way you can do that is if you play more tournaments. So I think it's it's good and smart that you're you, you these are lofty goals, but you, with a larger sample size, you have a better chance of getting it. Out of the things I can control, I just want to keep getting double mythic every month. That is the realistic goal I set for myself. I like that one. I think that's a it's a really good idea. Um, if you don't mind, I you're, you're to you know to to transition us just a bit here. Uh, I have your 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 speedred.com profile, and you have played so many games over the course of your history. Do you have you know uh, a favorite speed run at this point that you've done? That's tough. Uh, one of my, I think Castlevania three, which was one of the last ones I did, was one of my favorites because again, it wasn't like Mario where I knew I was going to get to the end of the game most of the time. Castlevania three was one of those games where if you made the tiniest mistake, you, you just hit the reset button because it was so easy. You could even be, and this is very similar to Magic. I remember a time when I was speedrunning Castlevania three. I was in the clock tower. I had pretty good pace so far, and a Medusa had ran into me and gave me a different item. 
And there was just, there was nothing I could do about this Brutal. other than to go slower and not take it. And I'm like, you know what? This reminds me of being dealt a bad hand in cards. It just <laughs> happens. There's nothing you can do about it. It's about your attitude and how you move on from it. So Castlevania 3 taught me a lot of those lessons. Um, honorable mention, Evo Search for Eden was a really mm. fun speed game to do. But that one was very tough and uh, one of the longer games I did. I actually watched uh, your your Castlevania 3 speed runs uh, just to, for prep for this because their first both of them are top 10 which is really awesome but then uh number two I, i've really been into a lot of castlevania recently which i only played like a couple months ago i, I don't know why i waited so long but um they're they're they, they, they are so fun and exciting and i but they're they're also really challenging at the same time they a really great mix of everything plus great music and all that kind of stuff <laughs> Oh yeah, I told people if you're gonna speed run a game, you better like the music. You better like stage one's music. Furthermore, after all those resets. <laughs> no kidding. Um, you have a fair amount of uh, co-op speed runs. In fact, I remember just seeing a Calithon. I guess it's over a year now ago. Um, you did the the Adventures of Cookies and Cream. What what is it a Cookie and Cream? What what is it about co-op speed runs? What, what do you what do, what do you what appeals to you about that? Well, it's one of those things where you're you're sharing an experience with someone. And, and let's face it, if you're going to share an experience with someone, it might as well be someone like Author Blues who gets animated a lot during <laughs> his speedruns, you know? Uh, co-op speedruns are great, though. They um, establish great communication. It helps you, you know, work with other people. So there's that communication and teamwork aspect to it. There's just a lot of great things that will help you out with other things. So co-op speedrunning is probably my favorite thing to do. Uh, the two that I've done with Auth in recent memory, we had uh, The Adventures of Cooking Cream, which we still submit to most marathons. And then Lord of the Rings Return of the King for GameCube, which was also really fun. The only reason why we haven't done as much of that is you have to watch these really big lofty cinematic uh, scenes and you know what happens when you do that then all of a sudden you know twitch and youtube's like hey why are you showing the movie we're like it's literally on the disc okay uh, the algorithm <laughs> yeah yeah uh, you also do uh something that i really like uh the uh, the randomizer thing and uh, i i think i probably watched you do zelda one super mario there's three uh, i'm sure others that i'm forgetting uh what is it that appeals to you about randomizers because uh in my opinion you play them at a really high level which is something weird to hear that randomizers played at a high level but uh if you wouldn't mind just to speak a little bit about it so there's a lot of similarities between randomizer and cards. It's never the same experience <laughs> twice ever. You're always going to be dealt something different. You always have to adjust on the fly. It's it's basically speed running and cards put together. And that's something I had always appreciated. One thing about vanilla speed running is it's you're doing the same thing over and over. You're waiting for this trick to come up. You're waiting for the RNG and just with randomizers there's no resets you just go you do the best you can with what you have and it teaches you how to adapt and something like that even helps out with castlevania 3 for instance where sometimes you have to adapt in some pretty awkward situations if you're you're running a good time and it, all you have to do is adapt to keep the run going uh, there was I'm, this is going to be a long time ago, but there was a race, a super SMB three randomizer race you did with uh, Mitch, and there were others. And Mitch made this point. He was like, "Sky has a really good chance of winning this race because she makes good decisions." How do you learn, or what kind of experience can you get to make good decisions in a randomizer? Because it is a popular race format nowadays. Yeah. So. 
much like uh, in the randomizers, you know, you're you're thinking about what's ahead of you. If you're in Mario 3, you have to think, is the Hammer Brother fights worth it, especially if hammers can break locks? And you're thinking and you're weighing how long it's going to take you to beat that. What power-up do I currently have? Those, all those micro decisions are the same thing when you're trying to play cards. What are my odds of drawing this? What are my odds that my opponent has that? You're trying to make all these micro decisions at once. I don't know why. I tend to process those decisions much quicker than other people. There's no hesitation for me. I just kind of dive into it and accept whatever happens after that. Uh, that's so reassuring to hear. Um, I'm also a poker player. I, 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 a poker fan. I shouldn't say I'm a poker player. And and it's it's about making decisions that will will um, um, benefit you over the long run, not just in this one specific instance. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing with these micro decisions. Like, just think about it. Well, how many if you did this decision 10 different times, how will it play out over 10 different times? Yeah, I mean, there's going to be the obvious decisions, like in Mario 3 Rando, if you run into one of the two auto-scrollers and <laughs> right. you can take a different stage, you just die right away. And you're like, all right, let's just see what's in the other stage, you know? And you'll get those straightforward ones, but then all of a sudden you have a cloud and it's like, well, should I use it here? What are the odds that I still have, like, one of the two auto-scrollers left? If you blindly cloud a stage, that's also kind of frightening in Randomizer because you could get stuck in an auto-scroller. I mean, there's there's so much to consider in Mario through Randomizer. In Zelda 1, it's, all right, I'm in level 7, there's so many rooms here, I kind of still need the ladder, and there's this many more dungeons available. Should I dip out of 7 and see if, uh, you know, I go into level 1, which has an additional item in consternation? Or should I go into level eight, which can be a much bigger level, but also has three items in concentrations. Like, do I do that? And you have to constantly, you said you're a stats kind of person. Yeah. <laughs> that is all just thinking about the numbers involved with that. Uh, I, I noticed during your, your Zelda run randomizer, but I'm sure you do it in others, sometimes taking notes and things like that. Do you do that with your approach to, to MTG as well? Are, are there things that you're maybe thinking about for later or in-game in or even past the game, you know? So I don't tend to write as much in-game, but after the game, I kind of reflect upon what happened. What were my win conditions that I may have missed? Did I miss lethal anywhere? What were my lose conditions? And was it more on the decisions I made or more what I was dealt? Because sometimes you can overthink that, and that's not good for <laughs> what you're trying to do in terms of keep going. Right. You know, I, I don't want to think about how many matches I play for night, but if I dwelled on every single loss I had, I wouldn't get anywhere. So it's it's picking and choosing your battles as well. That's the tough thing too to admit to oneself sometimes that you can be unlucky time and time again. There's the, there's the probability doesn't exist just in a bubble. Like you could literally get unlucky multiple times. <laughs> and I know that could, especially, uh, you know, that can take a, a toll on you depending on how much the RG affects you and things like that. Yeah, and you, you get those people. And then on top of all that, I've had people ask me, how do you stream during all of this? <laughs> right. You know, you're trying to do this, you're trying to do that. Suddenly you're retweeting an otter picture and it appears on Twitter. I'm like, I don't know, it just kind of happens. You get used to it over time. And again, that streaming component from speedrunning has really helped out with my streaming component of Magic. Because again, all those decisions had to be made during randomizer and randomizer tournaments. Same thing for Magic. Uh, if you don't mind maybe speaking about that a little bit, um, there, uh, we've heard, seen quite often that people, um, professional streamers sometimes struggle with playing something different on their stream and your stream took a very different direction. Uh, I guess it was about a year and a half ago now. Just, <laughs> I didn't realize it was that long. Um, can you tell me a little bit about like, how did you come to that decision and was it difficult for you? Cause it's, I can't imagine that being easy as somebody who does this uh, full time. 
Well, I was, you know, it, it had been a little while since I had played at any kind of marathon. Yeah, it's submit, submit, submit. And I realized that there are thousands of submissions. <laughs> so, you know, the odds of getting something and it's kind of low. And as I had told you before, while I love speedrunning, I have a little bit more passion for cards. And a friend of mine had given me a key to the beta for Arena. And, you know, we've seen Magic games before. You were joking earlier about previous Magic games. I'm like, is it just going to be another one of these? And I put on Arena and it felt like I was actually playing Paper Magic. Mm. So I was like, all right, I'm going to give this a shot. When Wizards had sent that email inviting me to the Mythic, I decided to take this fully seriously because very shortly after that, Team Genji had signed me. So I'm like, I guess I'm going to dive into this and take (laughs) a chance. I mean, I... At the time, I had met some of my stream goals, but there were so many more I wanted to try. And I'm right. like, well, now is a time like any. I don't have too much to lose. So I decided to go into Arena. And honestly, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. My hands were wearing out for speed running. I was having issues getting into marathons. I'm like, okay, nothing to lose here. Let's give this a shot. I had a lot of supportive people around me. And when people, even people who missed my speed run saw my passion for magic, they started supporting me. They're like, you know what? I totally understand this. Now I know why you switched over. You know, it didn't hurt that it was on camera at the Mythic Invitational. <laughs> a lot of people were pumped about that. That certainly helped out too from my future matches. Well, but, and, um, and that's when I knew there was something to it. Uh, that there is this um, something that 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 is inherent in 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 card games and Magic and also speedrunning. Because when you did, and you still do randomizers and other things on your stream, it's not like you've completely abandoned that. But yeah. like, I, I, I mostly lurk, and so I noticed that the community was a lot of the same people. There were new people that came in, but all of the people who were into the speedruns and stuff were still there and enjoying it and learning Magic. It seemed like alongside you at the same time. <laughs> so that was really cool. Yeah, I kind of keep a demeanor of, I mean, it doesn't happen every night. If I just get a night where the game slams me, obviously I'm going to be like that. I want to kind of treat it like relaxing, you know, like how Bob Ross treats painting is relaxing. I want to be that person for magic saying, hey, you can do this too. I'm going to talk through my thought process and you can play this as much as I, or as well as I can. Nobody believes me, but I try to like be the Bob Ross of magic. You know, again, it doesn't happen every night. Some nights I just go on tilt. I'm like, I cannot believe what this game's doing to me, but I try not to break that you know i try to be like all right today we're going to get together we're going to play jeskai fires on constructed and i you know if i had the little thing on the bottom of the screen that told me like all the cards i used like all the paints bob used i'd do that too but cardboard live has that so that takes care of that so playing four to five hours i sometimes i wonder how you keep your sanity playing the game. a lot of people that's what i said he's like you know i i rotate from game to game to game how the heck do you stay on one game because magic changes even if we don't get any new cards, if we get more of the meta over the course of research, the game changes. I couldn't imagine doing anything else other than it right now because name one other game that changes as much as Magic. Maybe World of Warcraft when a new expansion comes out or something like that. Right. I tried that. I did World of Warcraft pretty competitively for a couple of years. And while it was fun, it was also just a little too chaotic, a little too many buttons. You know, at least Magic has it. <laughs> limits on world of warcraft if you if you think magic is complicated world of warcraft is you know depending on what role you play that's pretty micromanaging as well uh you know i, I i've never actually played wow so I, i'm gonna take your word for that but it looks like uh, there's i heard it could just suck away your life sometimes because of so I, much of that 
I competitively raided in WoW for a couple years, wow. and uh, I was in a guild where they had people who only spoke English and then people who only spoke Spanish, and I was this one awkward person that spoke both, so <laughs> I'd have to manage both sides of the raid, trying to translate between English and Spanish while trying to move around, making sure I'm not standing in fire and doing my job. And then something they'd say something nasty, like, Sky, what did they say? And I'm like, I can't repeat what they just said. Just do this. Yeah, you know, just so, know it was not good. It was bad. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that you still are. Uh, you still once it, when you're taking a break from Magic, you dabble still in, in other games. Um, do you have anything that you would like to do in speedrunning or or randomizers or any sort of gaming outside of a Magic: The Gathering? Well, I wouldn't mind returning to some of my speed games again. I never touched Alucard on Castlevania 3. Mm. It was one of the categories I had done. I wouldn't mind doing Evo Search for Eden again at some point. Lack Attack's been trying to get me to speedrun Zelda 1 because he looks at my my combat and he's like, this is a waste that you're not speedrunning this game. And I'm like, I can't screen scroll. So... <laughs> <laughs> Which it is like um, almost impossible to do a run nowadays without it. If you know, if you don't have time. I'd like to learn um, other games with auth as well. Hmm. I do love co-op speedrunning. I would like to add a couple more games where you know, if a marathon comes up, we submit that as well. Uh, I've been more involved now with uh, Frame Fatale, which is uh, all-female speedrunning marathon put on by Games Done Quick and. We have been having great success with Frame Fatale lately. The most recent so, marathon was awesome. You guys did so well. <laughs> yeah, Demarine 2 and I had done a race of uh, Z1R, which if you haven't seen that, Demarine is a fantastic Zelda 1 player, by the way. You should definitely check Demarine out. Um, but we had a fantastic race. I'm not going to spoil it. It came down to the wire. It's worth watching the finish, at least. Um, one last thing, uh, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of, of the, uh, the interview, the episode, and that is that, uh, you're hosting on, on games on kick specifically, but other places you've hosted other places besides games on quick are, are really great. When did you get your start doing that? And, uh, you just feel so, you just sound so comfortable and natural doing it. How did that kind of evolve? Oh, hosting. So what had happened was when we went to our first GDQ, uh, I had applied for both games and volunteering because I'm like, you know what? I want to be involved with the community. And I had thought to myself, if I don't get a game in, because even at the time there were, you know, close to, you know, a couple thousand submissions, maybe, maybe, maybe a single thousand at the time. I wanted to contribute, so I filled out the form for, for volunteering. And back then, all you had to do for hosting auditions was, you know, read off five donations, make up five donations, you know, so they knew <laughs> you knew what an appropriate donation looked like. And I'm like, okay, so I did that, and. Um, I remember I had gotten accepted to it. Uh, I had done uh, filtering and I had done that. And I remember getting my first shift and I had done, I was, you know, nervous, just like any other person. And then suddenly uh, someone had come over to me. They're like, um, Scott, this person's not feeling well. Do you want to fill in for him? And I'm like, sure. You know, I knew this person. I knew they'd be grateful. I did it. And then from there, I just... I just really enjoyed doing it. I enjoyed doing it for a good cause. I enjoyed getting people excited. I enjoyed, you know, pushing incentives and trying to get these goals met for people so the runners could also demonstrate these incentives. And I just, I always found excitement in it. And I still continue to do even the filtering to this day because, you know, you got to keep the, the donation safe. So 
it's just something I'll always continue to do. I actually value hosting more than running now just because I love helping out. It, it's I, I'm not afraid to say it. I think it's become a staple of uh, the events is uh, <laughs> hearing you hype up some of the most uh, you know anticipated runs of the of the event. And it's always great to hear and see. Uh, I'm glad that you continue to do it because it's uh, it, it, there. I, I think it's also, you know, we're here to, uh, to 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 get donations and to to make this thing really successful for a charity. And I think a good host goes a long way to do that. So thanks for doing all that stuff. Oh, absolutely. And I'll never, you know, one of my favorite parts of it is the, the memories and experiences you have. I, I was the host when Pooh stomped on the console, right? <laughs> I'm sitting there and I remember looking at Mitch and looking at Pooh and I was looking at them and we were just all, and and the, the only thing I could think of at the time when all this had happened and nobody knew what to say was, how about the sportsmanship between these two? And everybody started erupting <laughs> and then they gave me the thumbs up and I'm like, cool. So <laughs> we started right getting thing. donations and we rolled with the sportsmanship thing and it ended up working out you know i know Pooh felt horrible about it but i was trying to like put a positive twist because he yeah. felt really bad about the whole thing so is there i mean are there any other highlights or big moments you could think of like that that you've been you've seen on the stage or been a part of because those, that one i I'd always it's tough to just not think of that that one because of you know how different it was but any other amazing things you possibly see it on stage well, that's the one that stood out the absolute most to me. I'll tell you something. When you're hosting, if Patty is on the couch, that is its own experience altogether, working with Patty, because you never talking. know what he's going to do. And there are times where I have to look over at him and raise my eyebrow, or if, or if he wants to plug a, a silly incentive just right off the bat, I have to start plugging it as if, you know, this is something GDQ wants, and I need to make sure it's appropriate right on the spot. So anything that Patty's in, and I'm hosting, yes, watch that, because that is its own thing altogether. Uh, other times I'm thinking of, I hosted the finale once, mm. which was pretty oh, fun. Oh, yeah, nice. I believe I hosted for the SMRPG uh, finale at one point. Cool. And uh, you, you just, you never know what kind of incentives right. are going to come up during this. You, you just, you can't make this up when some of the things that I've seen behind the scenes. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it's like uh, when I was working... Uh, one, I remember we were trying to push for the three million the first time, and I remember Kizaran getting on top of J-Hob's shoulders with this red <laughs> baseball bat, just running all around the room. And I'm like, looking at them with my, I'm like, what are you doing? And oh my gosh, just anything that can will be done to meet a GDQ goal. I'll tell you that much. And I, that's always something that's really exciting towards the end of the marathon. You just, you don't know what's going to happen. So just all the spontaneous donations and whatnot are fun, but I don't think anything beats hosting during the poo stomp. That was, <laughs> that was the run to host for. It, it definitely needed uh, the experience and the quality you brought to those two because you could you could still you watch the video today and you just see it on Pooh's face where he's ready to shut down. He's like he's so <laughs> sad about what's happened that you know it needs uh, some extra help. But I'm glad you were there to give it to him and get the run back on track. It ended up being one of the most memorable moments of uh, all of uh, GDQ for sure. Don't tell Pooh that he would be pretty upset. He's like I don't want anyone thinking about that. Like, <laughs> Sorry, it was dude. a thing that happened. Yeah. Embrace it. You know? Uh, because, I still talk to Pooh a lot about it. It's uh, you know he's he's got an emote for it. You know I think he's thankfully uh, <laughs> come to grips with it, but I, I can't imagine that happened quickly. <laughs> Um, Evan Grill, both at Uber Disco, talked about the complexity and how intimidating Magic the Gathering can be. And I, if I may, I think a great place to learn and to get some experience is actually to watch your stream. One of the great things I think you do is is talk through your decisions and why you're thinking a certain way. If people wanted to watch your stream and watch you play some Magic the Gathering, where can they find you on the internet? 
Twitch.tv slash Skybills. And how often then, what kind of, what's your schedule? Like when, when do you stream and uh, how, how can we go about getting there? So I do the late shift Eastern, so it can be anywhere starting wise about anywhere between like eight and nine, I'll start and then I'll go till about 2 a.m. or so. So if you're looking for some late night content, there's not a ton, a ton of magic late night content. Uh, I'm one of the people that fulfills that. And it's perfect because I'm on California and we, by the time I get on, it's like everyone's, nobody's streaming anymore. Skybills, I promise you, is streaming some Magic the Gathering. She's got it. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for taking the time and walking us through all this stuff. I really appreciate it. And, and good luck uh, with uh, future competitions. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, too. This was awesome. Thanks, everyone, for listening and watching. If you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe, leave a review. All those things go a long way to helping out the podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, I'm on Twitter, at LatMackey, or you can also join the LatMackey Discord, where we have a sequence break channel. We talk about guests. We have questions. It's really interactive, really fun. Please feel free to stop on by. Thanks so much. See you in the next one.